You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by SolarAy Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, and Wattwatches, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson and today we're taking you north of the border, at least north of the New South Wales border to Queensland and an old gold mine where a wonderfully exciting project is occurring, combining solar and pumped hydro storage. First of all, I'd like to introduce our guests and first of all, as usual, our regular um, co-host, David Leach from ITK. David, how are you? I'm well, thanks Giles. Trust all our listeners are well. Indeed. And let's also welcome Simon Kidston from GenX Power. Simon, thanks for joining us today. Um, pleasure to be here. Thank you. Simon, my first question has to be, um, your name is Simon Kidston. The old gold mine is called the Kidston Gold Mine. Is that just a coincidence? It seems barely credible, but apparently it is. <laughs> Giles, it is um, a coincidence. My great-great-grandfather was once the Premier of Queensland back in 1906 and that coincides when they discovered gold at this site in Queensland and the mine was named after the Premier. So it's coincidental that I'm his great-great-grandson acquired the project they're now repurposing into renewable energy. Well, interesting stuff. Look, I'm sure David's got a lot of questions, but I've just got one or two at the start. Now, what you have built there so far is a 50 megawatt solar farm, um, which I think is still the biggest in the state, even though I think Claire and Sun Metals have joined us to a certain extent, you're still producing more than anybody else because you're pretty much at full capacity as, as I understand it. Um, but there's the next stage, which is really exciting, which is building an even bigger solar farm, now something like 250 megawatts and a very big pumped hydro um, scheme using the old gold mine, the old pits at the top and the bottom to um, pump the water up and let it roll back down again when needed. Look, that's exactly right. What we're developing is a renewable energy hub and the first 50 megawatts is the first stage of that development. The more um, strategic stage is the second stage which we're financing now and that's the what we call the giant water battery uh, pump storage hydro project and the strategy is to store the energy we produce from an additional solar farm we're developing with the hydro and then um, using that energy to pump the water to the upper reservoir so we can then dispatch that um, or release the water and dispatch the energy at times of peak demand. So this is our um, integrated renewable energy hub. Stage. And I think there's also a wind farm uh, planned in there, but I just wanted to ask, originally you didn't plan to have the second stage solar to do the actual pumping. You were going to buy, I guess, from the grid and do arbitrage. What advantage do you see in, in putting in this, uh, what I might call s- self-pumping power? The, the machine is very, very flexible. It's able to utilize energy from the grid which we typically assume will occur at times of um, you know, low demands, say between midnight and dawn, but it also can use the energy generated at the site. There's a number of advantages of, of co-locating the solar farm, and it's all to do with minimising marginal loss factors and also sharing the costs of the new transmission line that gets built to the site. And that line's been built by PowerLink, and you pay for it um, with annual charges. Is, is that the uh, model? 
That, that's right. So we've entered into an arrangement with Powerlink and under that arrangement they are now doing all the works associated with acquiring easements, the planning and the permitting. They will fund the transmission line and GenX will pay a connection charge to Powerlink to utilise that energy but, but, or utilise the transfer capabilities of the transmission. But the transmission, they're getting the easements but I, I'm guessing that until the funding is, is done um, they won't actually go ahead. Let, let me ask about the funding generally. Is do you have to do both bits together, or you would would you consider it separately, or how are you generally thinking about what has to be done and doesn't have to be done? We're, we're developing the project in one special purpose vehicle, and the discussions we've had with our financiers has been on the basis that we fund both the hydro and the solar together at the same time and we're targeting to do that before the end of this calendar year. And that's about $800 million, is it? 850 something like that? Um, we, we haven't, um, in fact, we're very close to finalising the EPC contracts for both the hydro and the solar, and we'll be making an ASX announcement um, um, in the next six or eight weeks about the exact pricing, but um, it's in the order of $800 million. Um, in fact, it's a little bit less than that for the two projects. And, and your market cap's a hundred million dollars. So, um, and I, uh, uh, so many things to ask. And I know Giles will be uh, wanting to ask. But let me just ask about the NAIF, the Northern Australia Infrastructure Fund. Uh, can they provide help, but mainly in the form of low interest loans? Is that how it works? So, look, yeah, the way we're approaching the financing is running a number of work streams in parallel. So one of those work streams is in relation to our energy offtake discussions, and they're progressing very well. And we expect to finalise them before we reach financial close. In parallel with that, we're having discussions with the NAIF. And of course, the, the Northern Australia Infrastructure Facility has been set up to finance projects in the northern half of this country. And um, they've announced that this project has received the stage one of a two-stage approval to make a significant contribution to the funding of this project. We're working closely with the NAIF now, and um, we assume they'll have more to say about that over coming months. But we see that as a critical piece to the funding package. And one of the reasons for that is that NAIF can provide funding which is concessional. And that concessionality is in terms of the tenor of the loan, um, or the duration of the loan, but also potentially in relation to the coupon or interest rate. So, so we're working closely with them, and um, we're we're confident that both parties are working um, well together, and we expect to have more to say about that in coming months. And and that and that presumably that um, that concessional finance is quite important because this is a first of its kind project in the world. So presumably, when banks are presented with such concepts, um, they're a little bit nervous and tend to want to add a few um, percentage points onto the, um, onto the cost of um, finance. Well, when we look at the two projects, um, you know, clearly solar's been financed many times in this market. But if we look at the hydro, um, the technology behind pump storage hydro has been in existence for more than 100 years. Mm. Um, so there's no, nothing new about the technology we're, we're employing for this project. Um, of course, there hasn't been much pump storage developed in this country for many, many decades. Um, but the, the skills required to develop this project are nothing more than, than tunnelling, some civil works, which um, we believe our contractors can, can provide under a fixed price 
so, fixed price contract. So basically, just go through the model of this um, of this project. Then, so basically, as you said, you're going to be pumping water uphill and storing it when the price is low, and that could be overnight when, say, wind is pushing it down, or there's just not much demand, and presumably during the daytime too, because I think um, I think one of the minimum demand periods is actually during the day when there's so much solar, and you could be using your own solar to do that. What is then the demand for a project like this? Because Queensland has a lot of renewable energy projects being built at the moment, but largely it is still very much a cold state. And there is other pumped hydro storage in there. I think David wrote a wonderful piece last year about the Wyvernhoe pump storage facility and um, pretty much didn't get used very much. So what's going to be the driver, driver for, for Kidston? Well, the operating model for pump storage um, can be very different. So at one level, um, pump storage can be used to write insurance contracts or to sell cap price contracts to energy retailers. And if that model is adopted, um, the revenue is is through a series of, um, of premium incomes um, by virtue of selling caps. So the operation of the plant may not be very, very high because it's an insurance product. If, if the plant is run as an arbitrage between the peak and off-peak price, the capacity factor of utilisation would be much higher than the previous example I just gave you. Um, in, in terms of um, the other pump storage assets operating in this country, they tend to be used, as I understand it, for the provision of cap price contracts and therefore have lower capacity um, than, than would be the case for so, so where are you headed daily then? trading. So the, the, the operation of this asset will be determined by the party we intend to contract with under a long-term um, off-take arrangement. Um, we haven't announced um, who that party is, but we're negotiating with a party and our um, the, the arrangements we're targeting is one such that they will pay an annual fee and they will operate the asset in a way that best suits their portfolio. Giles, you might recall that uh, when we spoke to Gordon Weimer at Snowy, and I think he subsequently confirmed, he expects to get about 40% of Snowy 2 uh, revenue from the sale of cap products. My only um, uh, uh, sort of thought is, I wonder what the cap price will be uh, if too many, of, if more than one pumped hydro project is built. Simon, I guess during the course of this, amongst other things, you must have looked at the potential for the expansion of Wyvernhoe itself, um, because I know in origin they're talking about Shoalhaven as having a, a low cost uh, to expand. Uh, how do you see the competitive landscape? Look, in Queensland, um, Wyvernhoe is the only pump storage project in operation. That site, I believe, is, un is, is constrained because of its obligations to provide flood mitigation and irrigation to the surrounding um, community. Um, so I don't really have any special insights into the future trading um, characteristics of that particular asset. But what, what we see is a rapidly changing energy landscape and we believe um, energy storage and I guess rapid response generation is going to be far more gener uh, valuable in the future than it has been in the past. And this is to do with um, you know, well, many, many factors, including rural changes around um, settlement for energy prices moving to th five minutes as just one, but one example of some of the changes which could play into rapid Oh, just generation. on five minute uh, generation, we know that uh, gas, conventional gas will have a problem with five minute settlement. 
What's the speed of pumped hydro? How fast can it go from zero to flat out? The the turbines we've selected, um, they're a they're a European supplier, and um, these particular turbines can go from a standing start to full generation in under thirty seconds. So so clearly, you know, with that sort of response time, we believe there's an important role to be played um, when the when the reels do. Simon, change. I just want to do what I ask because I've been working on a study with some um, uh, academics about the firming up solar energy, which is not exactly what your stage two is, although it's very similar. And, you know, to get a solar project up and running, you, you basically need, say, $60. I'm just going to use a number. And if you were running arbitrage on pumped hydro, I think I've seen stockbroker reports that say $60. Uh, if you add those together, you, you're over 100 when the to get firm energy. When the fu when the baseload futures price in Queensland at the moment is 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 not at that level, um, I'm, I, I just want to ask the question if I can put it that way, or you know, been if you thought of me as a bank or something like that. Uh, look, no, absolutely. I think um, I'll, I'll refrain from making too many comments about our financial model purely on the basis that we're in the midst of discussions with a number of parties about financing the project and energy offtake. So um, you know, until we've um, completed those negotiations and made announcements to the stock exchange, there's, there's limits to what I can say in this, this forum, unfortunately. That's fine. And if we, if we were to broaden out the discussion, um, you've probably been looking at Queensland electricity for a long time. Um, you're in North Queensland. Uh, the state government before the election was talking up its power in North Queensland program. It was talking up its 50% renewable uh, ambition. Uh, it was talking about a 400 megawatts, including 100 megawatts of storage, uh, uh, reverse, a PPA, reverse auction. What are you seeing since the election and how do you feel about all those developments? Well, look, I guess um, the new energy minister is, um, is well, I guess, will come out with some announcements about those policies in due course. Um, what we're doing is independent of that process, is moving towards the funding of this project. And I guess we're blessed by the support we've had, not just by the Queensland government, but the Commonwealth government on the basis of funding this project, um, whether it's fully merchant, fully contracted, or, or somewhere between the two. And our intention is just to get on with the job. Mm. And how are you going so far with the first um, 50 megawatt solar farm? Um, you're getting, as I think I saw a broken report um, that was flicked over to me, talking about 31 or 33% capacity factor um, up there. Is, is that the ballpark of what you're talking about? The, the capacity factor when we financed the project was forecast by the banks to be 33%. It's actually tracking slightly better than that, so we're happy with the way the project's been commissioned. Um, at this point in time, we're generating to a maximum of 45 megawatts during the commissioning mm -hmm. phase, and we expect to get to the full nameplate capacity by July. Geez, so 34% capacity factor or even more. That's, um, that's pretty good. You obviously, got, um, you, you've got your single access tracking single access tracker um, and that's working working well um, the solar resource up there is absolutely stunning and um, the panels and um, everything else is according mm. working and when do you hope to get the whole project up and running are you talking 2020 2021 
so the the timelines differ between the stage two hydro and the solar so the um, the construction period for the hydro is a three-year build so kicking that off in um, you know, construction off early mm. 18 we'll have that project delivered um, in early 2021 the solar stage two of course is um, is, a, is a much quicker build so there's 18 months of construction for the for the solar component coming in um, early 2020. And what about the transmission? Does the solar project need the new transmission, and how long so, will that so take? So the the timing of the of the the construction of the of the solar has been staged to coincide with the development of the trans transmission line. Hmm. So the transmission line that's there at the moment is sufficient for the stage one project hmm. only. Yes. And, and, and um, I can't help but ask about EPC contracts with all the solar being built in Queensland. We've got, on the one hand, the underlying uh, fall, I guess, in panel prices uh, and the A-dollar, which hasn't done much. And on the other hand, I'm, you know, if we looked at the LNG projects, we saw a lot of cost pressures when everyone tried to build everything at once. Uh, how are you seeing the EPC market in, in general? Look, we um, we ran a process um, for both the stage one and the stage two solar, and in the end, we went with UGL to build stage one. We were very happy with the way that project was delivered, so they're now um, we're now finalising the EPC, EPC contract for UGL to do stage two solar. Um, in terms of um, the cost reductions, um, look, we have ex in fact we have experienced um, big reductions in in per unit cost, and I expect the stage two solar project when we announce those numbers will be significantly less than the I guess the pro rata number that could be compared with stage one. In in terms of the hydro project, um, we've gone for a joint venture between McConnell Dow and John Holland. And um, and those two pro those two groups are very experienced in um, in their respective fields. Hmm. There's so much solar being put in up up um, up in Queensland. In fact, it's very exciting with the different projects that are happening up there. Um, not just yours. I think there's about six solar farms out there which are already producing or in various levels of commissioning. Um, I think the Daydream and Hamilton Islands um, solar farms are um, about to connect to the grid and start producing. You've got the Kennedy Energy Park happening up there. You've got NeoN talking about another. Wind and solar and possibly storage project up there. It really is changing the face of generation because, of course, um, north of Gladstone, there are no other coal-fired power stations. It must be, must be a pretty exciting time to be up there. Well, I, I think this sort of underlies the, the changing generation mix we expect to, to see over the next couple of years. And clearly in Queensland, where you've had generation dominated by coal and to a lesser extent gas, we'll see that transition to have a greater proportion of renewables over the next five and 10 years. Um, some of that, of course, will result in the retirement of existing fleet. So I think we'll see um, certainly the spurt um, well, the introduction of um, renewables in the short term and over time the impl 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 um, implications of that will be felt through the retirement of other other, other plant as it, as it reaches. So uh, that's why I'm so keen myself on development of the power in North Queensland plan because what I see is the Gladstone uh, uh, coal-fired plant is getting very old and uh, it would be great in my opinion if there was enough new supply built in Queensland uh, to make the retirement of that uh, relatively comfortable decision for policymakers, but I just wanted to come back to NAIF and 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 
PPA prices and stuff like that a little bit, Simon. I, I know it's all fairly confidential, but should I conclude that, I mean, I don't know what confi- um, um, concessional interest rates are, but they, I mean, interest rates in general are fairly low. Uh, it's not going to make that much difference to the ultimate electricity price, is it, just to save one or two percent on two or three hundred million dollars? I don't want to understate it. It's more important to actually be able to access the money itself than than, than at, at a reasonable rate than the actual cost of the money. Well, look, I guess there's, I mean, these banking arrangements tend to get very complex as, as one delves into it. And of course, um, the interest rate is one very important component, as is term and tenor. Um, the amortisation of the principal um, over time is is one thing which really drives the economic returns to, to equity and therefore the, the price we can accept to, to finance the development of the project. Um, but there's a range, and in fact, there's a host of other factors which um, play into this, um, not least of which is, of course, the view the financing institution takes on what's called the merchant tail, which is the you know the the spot price of energy after the contract period expires. So clearly, um, a view needs to be taken. Um, commercial banks will no doubt have one view. Uh, equity will have another, and potentially um, government bodies will have um, another view again. So it's a, that's an incredibly interesting point because I've I've had it put to me by some people that. You know, some of these new big wind farms where the headline PPA price is, is quite low relative to history, that uh, people must be assuming post-contract that prices go go up. But I mean, I, I find that uh, an unreasonable view. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, technology and supply are more likely to ultimately drive prices lower rather than higher. Do you have a view on that in general outside of your own project? Look, um not not particularly I guess um what we've what we've seen is a lot of misinformation about um, you know so-called reporter reported PPA prices um, it's one thing to to have a number reported but often the detail behind that such as escalation or um, other factors um, aren't immediately apparent so um, so in many ways we can only guess about what the true level of market is at the moment in Queensland. And I guess um, in, in many ways, your views would be um, more informed than mine would be, for example. Um, well, I, I um, don't think we can, too much more we can talk about during this period, but we, I guess um, GenX has come a, a, a long way in the couple of years since it's been listed. Uh, I started out thinking it was in the middle of nowhere. Uh, I probably still think that, uh, and that that was going to be a disadvantage, but you seem to have come a long way in overcoming the challenges so far, so I would like to wish uh, uh, Genix all the all, all the best uh, with the project. Well, thank you very much. Um, it is a long way from um, from major population centres, but of course that does have that can be a blessing in terms of um, the support we've received, um, not just from the local community, but also the local council, the Queensland and the federal government as well. I think recognise the benefits of um, you know remote and re- re- um, regional development in Queensland. 
So tell me, um, just sort of broadening out, there's, going, there's a couple of pretty important announcements coming up over the next couple of months. Um, one is the integrated system plan, which is going to be uh, produced by AEMO. Um, another one is, of course, going to be the design of the National Energy Guarantee. What are you sort of thinking or hoping um, to see out of those? Look, in terms of the National Energy Guarantee, there's clearly a lot of detail which needs to be worked through. Um, but we're, we're quite hopeful that um, the setting of that policy will really fail and not just dispatchable energy but also renewable energy so to that end I think um, batteries and pump storage have a special place to pay not not just in the provision of new generation but making that generation reliable and dispatchable. Hmm. Are you competing in any way against battery storage or do you just see yourselves as complementary? We see it as complementary um, primarily because the natural application we believe for batteries is at the domestic and smaller scale and the natural application for pump storage is clearly at the grid scale. At this point in time, the capital cost advantage of pump storage relative to other forms of energy storage is so overwhelming that we don't see that position changing in the, in the foreseeable future. I think it's more interesting to think whether pumped hydro competes with gas uh, adequately, um, particularly reciprocating engines, but it does raise one question in the revenue model about uh, ancillary services, FCAS, um, some pumped hydro projects are saying, well, we're not going to do FCAS because, uh, you know, batteries might do that better. Um, uh, how are you thinking about that? Um, look, we'll, we'll see how that um, revenue stream evolves in the Queensland market. Um, traditionally, it's not been a huge source of revenue in Queensland to date. Um, so we'll see how that evolves. But under the, I guess, the off-tape model, we're contemplating um, FCAS and all other revenues associated with the pump storage will be for the account of um, our counterparty and that our revenue stream will be more akin to an annual rental payment than it is from um, the, 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 the disaggregation of those revenue streams. You, you'll just be a capacity provider, uh, more or less the same as a number of coal or gas stations have been operated in the past. Yeah, if, if we finalise that model, um, that, that's, that's correct, yes. Tell me about your long-term vision for the future, Simon. Um, I mean, you're combining um, renewable solar, um, possibly wind with storage. Where do you see the growth of renewables? Do you see it as a matter of incremental growth and sort of, you know, getting to 25, 30, 35, 40%? Or do you just sort of see that we can and we should just go, you know, much, be much more ambitious and, and get to levels of sort of 50% by 2030, 70, 80% by 2040? Can it be done? Look, I think the advances of technology will enable us to have, dispatchable, reliable, renewable energy. And that's one of the reasons why we're investigating the potential for wind at this site in North Queensland. And the view taken here is that by integrating those three technologies being wind, solar and hydro, we can make that energy not just renewable but also reliable. I, I think we'll see other models choosing different characteristics uh, roll out over the next decades, which will enable that tar those targets to be realised. Mm, fascinating stuff. Hey, David, um, let's just talk, talk, talk for some of the other um, things from the week. I'm, I've been so engrossed in this conversation with Simon, I've actually forgotten what else happened last week. Um, not much as far as I can gather, apart from a lot more um, wind and solar plants coming up and um, a little bit of excitement about electric vehicle charging networks and things. Um, 
Yes. What have you, what have you remembered from last week? Uh, look, I'm still focused on the release of the integrated system plan this month and, and the fight uh, that will probably uh, emerge over that. Uh, frankly, um, and, and there's a there's a curiosity here. Someone pointed out to me that, um, and you've seen this um, Excel document, which has got all its different assumptions, and it's about 25, 30 pages long. And I think you've been through it as I have. Curiously, if you look now, the very last page on levelized cost of energy has disappeared. Yes, well, that's one of the things about the internet. Uh, uh, when you see something interesting, uh, <laughs> store it on your computer because it might not always be there. <laughs> well, it's interesting. Um, Ayima have said that they've actually removed it deliberately so as not to confuse people. Um, so I'm not too sure what's going on there, but it's certainly going to be interesting. Well, as I've mentioned you know, uh, in our note today, we're looking at something like a 10% increase in new supply coming on steadily prior to the... Uh, closing of Liddell in 2022. So over the next two years, we're going to be in a constant commissioning phase in the NEM. Um, there's about an 8% increase in supply in Queensland and you know a 12 to 13% in increase in supply in Victoria and South Australia. Uh, to me, demand isn't going to increase very much. And so it's going to be a big argument, a fight, uh, as to which generation is going to be forced out by all of this new supply, uh, whether more wind will be curtailed in South Australia, which I think is likely. Um, and so I guess it's a watch the space type of exercise, in, 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 but it's only going to happen slowly because these plants take quite a while to commission. Mm, it's going to be interesting. Surprisingly, actually, the amount of wind that has been curtailed in South Australia has not been significant, but they're about to add another couple of wind farms down there and a couple of very big solar farms. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next, um, over the next, um, over the next couple of years. And um, for those who missed it, I do point to our interview last week with um, Jan van, Dan van Hospelikan, the South Australian Liberal Energy Minister. Um, before I sign off um, and thanking Simon, um, I do want to also just point out um, and, and thank our readers to, of Renew Economy. Um, we reached, came tantalisingly short of 1 million page views for the month of May last year. Um, 350,000 people visited the website, so thank you very much. And um, we're getting about 3,000 people listening to this podcast, so um, we thank you for your interest. And um, we do thank, of course, our sponsors, Solaray Energy and What, um, and, uh, what Watches. So, uh, yeah, and Simon, um, thank you for joining us today. It, it's a pleasure. Great to be involved. Simon, you, you were very diplomatic about the Queensland government, but I, I would like to see them, um, you know, make some firmer statements about how things are going to progress, because I must say, in general, it's been very quiet since the election. But anyway, that's my view. <laughs> Good on you, David. And look, on that note, I'm going to say thank you very much to Simon, to David and to our listeners. And we'll talk again next week. Bye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Solar Ray Energy, leading innovators of smart energy management technology. Experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, they're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solarray.com.au and secure your energy future today. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Wattwatches, makers of ultra-smart devices to manage electricity use and costs, accurately monitor and control electrical circuits over the internet in real time. Visit whatwatches.com.au and take control of your energy use.